Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of Geek Girl Meets, the podcast from Geek Girl Meetup UK, where we sit down with a fascinating woman to find out more about her career in order to inspire you back home. And I'm delighted to say that I'm actually at Future Fest right now, which is being organised by Nesta here in London. And aside from walking around and seeing quite a few floating balls and having some chocolate grasshopper ice cream, I'm absolutely delighted to be sat down with Cindy Gallup, founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. So Cindy, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day to sit down with me. Thrilled to be here. So I've already explained briefly offline before hitting record, but one of the, the first questions that we like to ask at Geek Girl is when you were a little girl, what was the, the one thing that you wanted to be when you were growing up? Well, rather bizarrely, I wanted to work in advertising, and I did. Well, there you go. <laughs> why was, why was uh, advertising the thing that you thought when you were little you wanted to do? What was the appeal? Um, I did a project. Um, I, For some reason, I particularly like perfume advertising, fragrance advertising. And I did a project for school where I put together a whole load of fragrance ads and commented on them. And I guess that, that made me think I'd like to work in advertising. Okay. So how do we get from uh, you as a young girl and deciding advertising is the career path I want to go down and be obviously accomplishing that very well, but how did you get to the point of make love not porn? Can you talk me through the journey from kind of little girl to the kind of the moment where the penny dropped and you came up with that idea? Uh, well, um, I should say that everything in my life and career has been a complete and total accident. <laughs> And Make Love Not Porn was a total accident as well. I never consciously, intentionally set out to do anything that I now rather bizarrely find myself doing with it. it came out of direct personal experience. I date younger men. Um, they tend to be men in their 20s. And through dating younger men, I began realising nine or ten years ago, and bear in mind, this is before the media ever picked up any of this, I began realising that I was encountering an issue that would quite honestly never have crossed my mind if I had not encountered it so very intimately and personally. Yeah. I realised I was encountering what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one. I realised I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore pornography online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex resulting in porn becoming, by default, the sex education today in not a good way. Yeah. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioural memes. I went, whoa, I know where that behaviour is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. Because nine or ten years ago, nobody was writing about this. You know, I had no idea. Um, this was me in isolation. And being a naturally very action-oriented person, I went, I want to do something about this. So eight years ago, I put up on No Money this tiny, clunky little website at makelovenotporn.com that posts the myths of hardcore porn and balances them with reality. So the construct is porn world versus real world. I had the opportunity to launch Make Love Not Porn at the TED conference that I've been going to for a number of years. I took a deliberate decision to be very explicit in my TED talk because I knew that audience would not get this issue unless I was very straightforward about it. As a result, I'm the only TED speaker to have uttered the words, come on my face, on the TED stage. Brilliant. Six times a succession. <laughs> um, the talk went viral instantly as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny, clunky website that I had never anticipated. And the most extraordinary thing was not just instantly huge traffic to the site from every country in the world. So it went global without my lifting a finger. But the most extraordinary thing is that every single day for the past eight years, and this is ongoing, I have received thousands of emails to my Make Love Not Porn inbox, and they come from everybody. They come from young and old, 
male and female, straight and gay, every country in the world. And even before the actual site that I'd put up, what amazes people is simply the fact I stood on a stage in public, I talked about and I'm doing something about what everybody knows and no one ever speaks about. Yeah. And as a result, people feel able to tell me anything. They pour their hearts out to me on email. They tell me things about their sex lives and their porn-watching habits they've never told anybody before. They write for advice. 15-year-old boys write, 15-year-old women write. And it was the sheer cumulative impact of all of these emails arriving, day after day after day, that eventually made me feel I now had a personal responsibility. I had to take this initiative forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful, and effective. So what I decided to do was... I always emphasize to people that make love not porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. Yeah. If we did, amongst so many other benefits, that would mean people would then bring a real world mindset to the viewing of what is simply artificial entertainment. Our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And our mission is one thing and one thing only, which is to help make it easier to talk about sex. Talk about sex openly and honestly in the public domain, and by that I mean parents to kids, teachers to classrooms, everybody to everybody. And equally importantly, talk about sex openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. And so what I decided to do, therefore, was to take every dynamic that exists out there in social media currently and apply them to the one area that no other social network or platform is ever going to go in order to socialize sex and to make real-world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. So three and a half years ago, my team and I launched MakeLoveNotPorn.tv, which is an entirely user-generated, crowdsourced video-sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. It's a dot-com site brought to life. I'm a big believer in communication through demonstration. So anybody from anywhere in the world can submit to us videos of themselves having real-world sex, and we're very clear what we mean by this. We're not porn. We're not amateur. We're building a whole new category on the internet that has never previously existed, social sex. So our competition isn't porn. It's Facebook and YouTube, or it would be if Facebook and YouTube allowed sexual self-expression and self-identification, which they don't. So real-world sex videos of Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're simply about doing what you do on every other social platform, which is capturing what goes on in the real world as it happens in all its funny, messy, glorious, silly, beautiful, wonderful, ridiculous humanness. Yeah. We curate to make sure of that. We watch every video. We don't publish unless it's real. And we have a revenue-sharing business model. So part of the sharing economy, like Uber and Airbnb, mm -hmm. you pay to rent and stream real-world sex videos, and then 50% of that income goes to our contributors, or as we like to call them, our Make Love Not Porn stars. Because we would like our Make Love Not Porn stars one day to be as famous and celebrated as YouTube stars, for the same reasons, authenticity, realness, individuality, and we want them to make just as much money. We want to hit the kind of critical mass where one day your Make Love Not Porn video could hit a million rentals, at $5 per rental, and we give you half of that income. We are the answer to the global economy, by the way. So that's that's what Make Love Not Porn is. And I, I completely love that. So it, after the kind of, you know, launching this three and a half years ago in terms of makelovenotporn.tv, 
what is the kind of the how's it you know been received i guess have you found that you've had a lot of people going there and using the site not just to watch but also to be a part of it how popular has it been since you started sure so, so let me just contextualize my answer to that question first the one thing I did not realise when I embarked on this venture was that my team and I would fight an enormous battle every single day to build it. Mm. Essentially because every piece of business infrastructure, any other tech startup can at least just take for granted. We can't because the small print always says no adult content. Yeah. And this is all pervasive across everything in ways that people outside the sphere do not realise. I can't get funded. I can't get banked. I can't put payments in place. PayPal won't work with us. Instant credit card processors won't work with us. Every single tech service I want to use, be it hosting, encoding, encrypting, the TOS always say no adult content. I have to go to the people at the top of the company, explain what I'm doing, beg to be allowed to use their services. We had to build our entire video sharing, video streaming platform from scratch ourselves because off-the-shelf components, existing streaming services, refuse to stream adult content. Even something as apparently simple as finding an email partner, send a membership emails out with, we were rejected by six or seven before we finally ended up with SendGrid, who would work with us. So um, I regularly say to my team, the single biggest thing we have to pat ourselves on the back for is that we're still here. Yeah. In a world where 95% of all startups fail, and where we are facing many more barriers than any other startup, it's an absolute god miracle we're still here. Okay. So in that context, equally, we are doing extraordinarily well. Despite all of those barriers, we have over 400,000 members globally. So, so we are proving things that nobody thought could be done. We are proving that people will watch real-world sex as well as porn. We are proving that people will share their real-world sex. We have over 100 Make Love Not Porn stars. We've had over 1,000 videos submitted in, in the course of our life cycle to date. We have proved that people will pay for real-world sex. We began taking in revenue on day one. Our monthly income is extremely low, in the very low five figures, but in a world where the received wisdom is nobody pays for porn, they're paying for real-world sex. And we, we are seeing the social and business acceptability needle move in, in the right direction all the time. But um, what, what all of this means is I realized very early on that I was going to have to pave my own way. I have to break down the business barriers in my path in order to scale and grow and make love not porn to be the billion dollar venture I know it can be. And so I am doing what I tell other entrepreneurs to do, which is when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. So I like to say that I'm in the Steve Jobs business of reality distortion. Yeah. If reality tells me that I can't grow my startup the way I want to, I'm going to change reality. And so I have a whole tranche of work I do that is aimed at pioneering and championing my own category, sex tech. I'm defining sex tech and promoting it because that way I'm creating the conditions for my own success. I tell the tech and business world all the time the next big thing in tech is disrupting sex. Because at base level, if I say that loudly enough, often enough, and in enough places people start believing it. And that's one of the things that I personally find fascinating. So, so previously on on uh, the podcast, I've had um, Girl on the Net. Oh yeah, you're a oh, yep, yep, huge fan. Yep. Yeah, uh, and I've also had um, Stephanie Alice from. No, oh, yep, 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 yep. She's here today, by at Future Fest, by the way. I need to find her. Yeah. I will find her. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I've had a long conversation with them both around is is around sex tech and that massive barrier when it comes to funding. 
obviously sex taboo, as we've established, and it shouldn't be, it should be something that should get funding. There is so much that can be done in that realm. But you've also got a slightly different battle, I guess, when it comes to looking at venture specifically, if you look at kind of the uh, amount of female VCs that maybe you're in the sphere. Actually, actually, do you know, funnily enough, um, Cathy, um, sex tech is the one sector where gender is utterly irrelevant. That's great. It's, it's equally impossible to get funded whether you're male or female. <laughs> Damn. It really, um, this is the only sector of tech where, where your gender makes no difference at all. It's equally difficult. Okay. Our, our biggest obstacle raising funding for Make Love Not Porn is the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think. Because it is never about what the person I'm talking to thinks. No. When you understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, nobody can argue with it. The business case is clear. It is always their fear of what they think other people will think, which operates around sex more than any other area. And by the way, fear of what other people think is the most paralyzing dynamic in business and in life. You will never own the future if you care what other people think. So fear what other people think, depressingly, rules out two of the usual three tech startup funding routes. Number one, it rules out VCs, yeah. institution investors, too many stakeholders. Yeah. I have friends who are VCs who have said to me um, in a personal context, Cindy, I think you're really onto something, this could be huge. If I took it to my partners, they'd say, what do you want? Okay, so, so VCs are out. I've not yet found... Um, a sex tech friendly um, institutional VC firm. And I'll come on to what I'm, I'm planning to do about that yeah. in a moment. Um, the second area, it very, fear what a lot of people think, very depressingly rules out crowdfunding. Um, now, the, 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 there's a separate obstacle with crowdfunding, which is that, I mean, Kickstarter is blanket policy, no adult content. Most crowdfunding platforms are, or else they draw an artificial distinction between, for example, sex toys fine, people having sex on video not fine, you know. Um, but, but the bigger issue with crowdfunding is that successful crowdfunding requires a very large number of people willing to very publicly rally around something and then very publicly invite all of their networks in to do the same thing. People will totally publicly rally around a piece of hardware, a video game, a movie concept. They will not publicly rally large numbers around anything to do with sex. And by the way, I can say that with confidence because I depressingly see the evidence of this in my social media feed every day. Yeah. I am a Twitter and Facebook addict. Um, I tweet and post about a whole range of things. Tech, feminism, advertising business, sex, make love not porn. My tweets and my posts about sex and make love not porn are read. They are never liked, shared, and retweeted at the same level as anything else I put out there. Yeah. I will tweet about Make Love Not Porn, and I will get 25,000 impressions and two retweets. Fear of what other people think. And, 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 and by the way, I know yeah. this because I've had this conversation with friends who yeah. said to me, Cindy, you're absolutely right. I'm a huge fan. I love what you're doing. I'm a parent. I get it. I read everything you post about Make Love Not Porn. I never retweeted any of my followers. Okay, so crowdfunding, forget it. Okay, yeah. Um, so that leaves the third route, which is angel investors, privately wealthy individuals, which is the route that I've been pursuing. Now, our challenge there is that any other startup in any other sector can at least do its research and target angels. So other startups can go, oh, so and so has publicly said they want to invest in my sector, clean tech, whatever it is. So and so has a portfolio that indicates very clearly their interests are these sectors. Nobody currently is putting their hand up going, bring me sex tech. Yeah. And sex is the one area where you cannot tell from the outside what anybody thinks on the inside. So I have a two-pronged approach to finding outcome investors. A, I just ask publicly everywhere I go. I have no pride. I need help. I ask for it. Yeah. Every public speaking gig from the stage, who knows, open mind investors. Every media interview like this one, you know, 
anybody listening out there, cindymakelovenotporn.com, hook a sister up. You know. <laughs> and, and, and then the other thing I do is I ask everybody I come across who they know personally. Because when you know somebody personally, you know what they're like behind closed doors, what they're like when they let their hair down, what they're like when they talk about sex. Those are our only key performance indicators for the kind of person who might be our kind of investor. As you can imagine, this is a very long, slow, painful process. Yeah. So you, you alluded to something earlier when you were talking through this. So what is it that you're, right. you're working yeah. on? So I am, I am, you know, as if it wasn't hard enough raising funding to make love not porn, I'm trying to raise even more funding for something else. Mm. So I'm riding two horses simultaneously. And, and by the way, I will go with whichever one presents itself um, as cold hard cash first. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm working to raise a round of funding for Make Love Not Porn. Um, and actually, um, you know, um, if you're interested, I, I can tell you exactly where we plan to expand Make Love Not Porn. Um, but alongside that, I am also working to raise um, $10 million for what I like to call the privateer holdings of sex tech. Are you familiar with privateer holdings at all? Well, I might be a little bit, but maybe not right, everyone okay, is. Okay. So I talk about the fact that the three huge disruption opportunities in tech today are sex, cannabis, and Bitcoin. And ironically, investors are flooding into the other two more than the other first, mm -hmm. which, by the way, allows cannabis and Bitcoin startups and VCs to fund lobbyists, regulation change, public education initiatives, foundations, all things we need in sex tech. We need a new legal definition of adult content. Um, but as a result of this, I studied the cannabis market very closely because there are many analogies with sex tech. So six years ago, three guys coming out of private equity started Privateer Holdings. And they started it because they very presently saw the huge opportunity that the rapidly legalizing cannabis industry presented. And so they started a holding company to build brands in cannabis. They massively struggled um, six years ago to raise $7.2 million. Last year, they raised $75 million led by Peter Thiel and Founders Fund, and this year they're raising $100 million. They have three brands in their portfolio, Leafly, which is the world's cannabis data source, um, Marley Natural, which is Bob Marley's cannabis brand, and Tilray, which is a medical marijuana brand. So um, I actually wrote a piece for Vault Fuss, which is an online um, cannabis um, drug media platform, about the six things that cannabis and sex tech have in common that mean investors should be flooding to both. And in it, I laid out my vision for a privateer holdings of sex tech. Um, and, and, and by the way, I literally took privateer holdings mission off their website and I substituted the word sex for cannabis all the way through and it really works. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the point being that I want to raise $10 million to build um, an incubator, accelerator, fund and holding company for radically innovative sex tech startups. Um, and by the way, in the first instance, um, I have two key criteria for the sex tech startups I'd like to focus on. The first is that I, um, I divide um, sex tech, very broadly speaking, into two areas, um, standouts, and those are people who are doing what exists better. Um, so people like Lalo and Jimmy Jane are, you know, um, redesigning sex toys, but, but sex toys that already existed pretty much, and outliers, which are true disruptors. And obviously I class Make Love Not Porn in that area, but, but I class a number of other outliers in that area who are, interestingly, they all have one thing in common, which is that they all come from female founders. The most innovative and disruptive things in sex today are coming from women. 
because we are finally owning our sexuality and leveraging it in very innovative ways. As I like to say, women challenge the status quo because we are never it. So, um, so I want to I want to fund with ten million dollars, and by the way, that includes a ten million dollars make love not porn, a portfolio of sex tech startups with make love not porn at the heart of it as the hub, because we do two things everyone else needs. A, we normalize and socialize sex, and B, we therefore generate both safe work and not safe work social sexual content that is everybody else's product demonstration, promotion, advertising in the way you really should be advertised. But the point being that when you put together a portfolio like that, um, you have amazing opportunities for cross-promotion, cross-selling, cross-traffic, and cross-data. The whole is far greater than some of the parts. Um, And and the reason why I think the idea of of an incubator accelerator fund holding kind of sex tech is so powerful is because that defines the industry um, in a way that right now nobody else is. In fact, you know, if I can raise that $10 million, um, and I already have in mind, by the way, the the, the first stage portfolio I'd put together, Um, and if I could announce that to the world, I know two things would happen instantly. Number one, we would be knocked over in the rush as every single sex tech venture all around the world went, me, 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 because, because nobody else is doing this. Yeah. And number two, every lemming-like investor in the world who was waiting for somebody else to fund sex tech first would go, me, 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 and, and they'd all fall in behind. Because you, you know? paved the way for it to yeah. be suddenly okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so as I say, that's what I'm trying to do. That's amazing. So on that note, if you're going to, working on the fund and everything is one thing, but obviously sex tech is actually quite broad, very broad. It's like FinTech goes through things, it's wide. Within that kind of sphere or sector, are there any things in particular that you've seen coming up that you're particularly really excited by? Right, so um, I'm very excited by um, opportunities within sex tech that that other people really are not observing. So, mm. so, so, um, so first of all, um, Cathy, um, let me just point out one area of huge frustration, which is um, because we're so fucked up as a society about sex, that manifests in, in very unfortunate ways in all sorts of areas. Um, and one of the areas it manifests in is in the um, tech media and tech blog world. Yeah. By which I mean, like everything else in tech, um, tech media is dominated by men. Okay? And um, the media and tech blogs find it a lot easier and a lot more comfortable to focus on that area of sex tech that is the hardware. Because it's a lot more comfortable to geek out about teledildonics, <laughs> sex robots, VR porn, yeah. than it is to deal with the side that Make Love Not Porn operates in, which is the s- software. Yeah. We are all about using technology to bring people closer together in the real world. But all the support and promotion emphasis goes on the hardware that is designed to drive us further and further apart into our own little virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. That's not good for humanity. No. So gender bias and discomfort around sex is driving a very unfortunate dynamic there. Um, Sex tech has not even begun to be leveraged, okay? And and I say that particularly because I highlight three broad areas in which there, there is a huge amount of money to be made. So the first area um, of sex tech is a very obvious one, which is entrepreneurs like me, you know, all my fellow sex tech entrepreneurs, people starting sex tech ventures driven by personal experience or personal desire to see something exist doesn't currently, which obviously is what is what drives entrepreneurs in every sector. Yeah. But there's a second area that is not being leveraged as it should be, which is um, the fact that with tech, um, everything is redeployable. 
So rule 34 of the internet states, if it exists, there is porn of it. Yes. Gallup's rule states, if the tech exists, it can be sex tech. Yes. Every single form of technology can be redeployed in the service of sex. I mean, if you look at Make Love Not Porn alone, we are, we are using a whole bunch of dynamics, um, user-generated, crowdsourced, um, video sharing, because that is the future. Yeah. You know, we, we began communicating through text, we moved to photography, and now video is communication. Um, ephemeral, because we are truly ephemeral um, at Make Love Not Porn in a way that Snapchat and WhatsApp no longer are. You know, the moment you don't want your videos there, we take them down, they're gone forever, they're nowhere else on the internet. And we are revenue sharing, you know, part of the sharing economy like Uber and Airbnb. Yeah. So you can literally take anything that is making money in tech anywhere and you can redeploy it as sex tech. Then the third area is every single business obstacle I encounter is a ginormous business opportunity in itself. The first bank that goes, we will welcome honest, legal, ethical sex tech ventures. The first payment processor that goes, we will process payments for honest, legal, ethical adult ventures. Oh my God, they'll clean up. Yeah. The opportunity to service sex tech and to make a huge amount of money accordingly is just colossal. So th th there are so many opportunities. And um, obviously my pitch to investors is, oh my God, the money there is to be made. But the money is made in, th in two areas, the second one of which right now nobody even thinks about because no one even thinks it's possible. So the first area is obviously the money made out of sex. We all have it, we all enjoy it, recession-proof, market never goes away. But the second area is, oh my God, the money that is made out of socially acceptable sex. So when you do what we're doing in Make Love Not Porn, socialize sex, make it socially acceptable and shareable, you potentially double, triple, quadruple your returns when you normalize people feeling really okay about publicly buying into your goods and services, then publicly doing what they do with everything else, advocate, share, review, recommend, and publicly badging themselves as brand ambassadors. That's the trillion dollar financial future we're going after at Make Love Not Porn. And the proof of how achievable that is is out there right now, because at this moment in time, the single highest income grossing author in the world is E.L. James. The author of Fifty Shades of Grey has out-earned Dan Brown, Jim Patterson, Michael Crichton, all those best-selling novelists, Fifty Shades of Movie, Broke Box Office opening weekend records, that is the financial power of socially acceptable, socially shareable sex. Yeah. And by the way, it's also the power of something I say a lot, which is that there is a huge amount of money to be made out of taking women seriously, especially in this area. Yeah, there is. I'm going to switch focus for two seconds because you're blowing my mind and I love it. Um, in terms of, so our audience, it's women in tech, women who are just fascinated by what's happening in the space, and it's very, very broad. But a lot of the time, you know, we're, we're looking for kind of words of wisdom or inspiration to pass along to a lot of the people that listen. So you've shared a lot already, and it's amazing. But I wondered, in terms of kind of pulling from your career and the challenges that you face with Make Love Not Porn, and I'm guessing previously as well within advertising, what is the kind of the, the biggest thing you could pass along to a woman in her career, do you think? Well, um, t um, I like to pass along the things that um, other people possibly won't say. So um, uh, uh, um, here, here, are, here are the things that, that, that I would say first and foremost. The most important piece of advice I, c I can give your listeners is the only person who can make things happen for you is you. Yeah. And I say that because um, tech entrepreneurs generally um, are taught it's all about networking. 
And the mistake many people make when networking, particularly women, is you think that puts all the power in other people's hands. It doesn't. You can network the shit out of whatever you're doing, but at the end of the day, the only person who will make things happen for you is you. Um, the second thing I'd say is, you know, if you start up a venture of any sort, I mean, absolutely never set out to be an entrepreneur or to have a startup. And by the way, I think men in tech are more prone to doing this than women. But the key thing being that you only want to turn something you passionately believe in into a business. Because you are going to go through absolute total goddamn fucking hell. And the only thing that will keep you going through that is passionately believing in what you're doing and knowing that you can change the world and make the world a better place by doing it. I mean, that's certainly what keeps me going um, against all those obstacles. Um, then um, the third thing I would say is, um, you know, I'm regularly asked what the most important qualities are for entrepreneurs. And, you know, the three most important qualities are persistence, resilience, and the ability to manage your own mind. You have to get good at managing your own mind. Okay, I coined the hashtag startup stress when I decided several years ago to be, to be completely transparent about how hellish my life is. Yeah. Because I realized that if you follow me on social media, I can look spuriously glamorous. Trust me, it's not. I'm going through hell. Yeah. And by the way, that's a very relaxing thing to do. When, when, when you just are completely open about how difficult working in a startup is, you're not putting up that, again, men in tech are more, more prone to this, that broy facade of, we're crushing it, we're killing it, it's all, you know, it's, it's very relaxing to go, life is hell, here's how hell it is, I've got nothing to hide, I'm not putting up a facade. But, but you know, you, you, you have to find the tools to manage your own stress. So every day I go, oh my God, here are 50 million things stressing me out, I'm only allowed to stress about one of them. Pick one thing to stress about today and address. One or at the most two. Everything else can wait till tomorrow when you pick another thing. And then the final thing I would say, and this is really important because this really gets said very rarely to women, is be completely unashamed about wanting to make a shit ton of money. We do not get taken seriously until we get taken seriously financially. Yeah. I want to build Make Love Not Porn into a billion dollar venture because I want to prove a woman can do that in a sector where nobody thinks it can be done. We need women to raise the massive rounds of funding that men are raising. We need women to make the huge exits that men are making. We need women's net worth to be right up there with the net worth of the men of Silicon Valley. And so I urge women to be completely unashamed about wanting to make a huge amount of money because there is nothing wrong with that at all. And you will help all the rest of us when you do that because when you make that money, you can then do what the bros do for each other. You can use it to fund other women. Yeah, exactly. Release the capital back into the mm, ecosystem. Absolutely, yeah. Cindy, thank you so much for doing this interview. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I have one last question. I know from the geek girls that I work with, from other women that I work with, that a lot of women look up to you as a, a role model because you do say those things that need to be said and you're very, you're very real, you're very authentic. But I wonder for you, who's been a bit of a role model for you if you've had one? Um, I would say probably my biggest role model is my mother, who's amazing. I mean, she's she's Malaysian Chinese. Um, she worked. I mean, uh, she was a teacher, and then she started her own kindergarten, and then that turned into her own private school in Brunei, where I grew up. Um, and you know, even now at the age of eighty-three, she's still giving me sage business advice. So my mother's been a fantastic role model. But but I would say also, you know, my role model is. You know, anybody and everybody I meet who, who has something they believe in and is fighting to make it happen. I mean, there, there are just, there are wonderful people all around us, um, including at an event like Future Fest, where we are currently. And, you know, we can learn from everybody around us. You know, and, 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 and I feel very strongly that, um, 
um, you know, role models should operate across um, genders. So, you know, I, I campaign for, in fact, I was making this point on the Future Fest stage this morning, um, when I was chairing a debate on the future of work and women. And Simon Ryan on the panel was talking about the need to get girls into STEM. And I made the point that it doesn't matter how many women you bring in at the bottom if you don't show them anywhere to go at the top. You yeah. cannot be what you cannot see. But that's important not just for women, it's also equally important for men. Men need many more female role models to model for men different ways of working. And um, I know that in any industry, you know, like my own advertising, like tech, at the top of every single industry is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. But the younger guys coming up are not like that. I mean, I know that you know many young men in advertising see me as a role model. I know that because they've told me that, um, which is wonderful. You know, to, um, the, the older men at the top don't think that. They often think that younger men can't possibly respect women, mm. can't possibly think they have anything to learn from women, don't see women as role models. That's not true. So we need many more female role models to be great role models for men as, as much as for women. And I really want to see that happen. On that note, oh wow, the, you're, you think, obviously think, can't see this. Someone's, the lights yep, just went someone's out. Someone's dropping a big hint. <laughs> yeah. um, Cindy, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or follow you, where is yep. the best? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Cindy Gallup and um, at Make Love Not Porn. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. Um, and uh, and you know, if anybody knows any open-minded investors who would like to fund either Make Love Not Porn or the sex tech holding company and fund of the future, it's Cindy at Make Love Not Porn Fantastic. Thank you so much again. On that note, just as a reminder, but tickets for the Geek Girl Meetup Conference 2016 are still on sale. And the theme is the way we're wide. And one of the things that we will be talking about is how technology is changing how we engage with people sexually and romantically. So there is a whole sex tech panel that will be happening. So if you're interested in that area, do grab a ticket and come on down. Lots of other amazing stuff happening as well with AI, robotics, future of education. I could go on, I could go on, I could go on. Uh, so head to geekgirlmeetup.co.uk in order to find your tickets. You can follow us at GGMUK with Geek Girl Meetup UK on Facebook and I'm Kathy White 10 and until next time thank you very much. Bye.